Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And right now we're doing Read the Reviews. This one is called Fantastic Podcast. I've only been listening to Robin's podcast for several months now, but since I've tuned in, I have been so inspired. Every episode seems to land at just the right time. When I'm experiencing a parenting low or in the need of educational slash intellectual slash spiritual infusion, Robin's choice of guests and ability to gently lead them towards their magic is amazing. Highly recommend, especially to these challenging times. That was a five-star review by Molly Mack. Now, let's get into the intro. Who did you interview in this episode? Thank you, Zara, for saying that. She's great at the introductions, isn't she? It's my daughter. Well, today my interview is with Carline Crevecourt. And why did you interview her? Well, she contacted me and the more I learned about her, we corresponded by email for a short bit. And she is just a fascinating woman. She is a doctor. She's an OBGYN. She has five children that she ended up unexpectedly homeschooling. They are all now college age. They have all entered university. And she is the author of the upcoming book, Pressure Makes Diamonds, where she talks about her memorable homeschooling journey. So we had a chance to connect on this episode. We talk about her homeschool journey, uh, homeschooling all five of her children, as well as what it was like becoming ill, dealing with cancer while she homeschooled. Uh, She's a remarkable woman, and I think you will be just as inspired listening to her as I was. Sounds very interesting. Is there anything else you would like to say about her? Uh, Listen to the episode and let me know what you think. And don't forget to check out my mom on Instagram, Facebook, and her website at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And also, did you know that your support helps make the show production possible? Visit www.patreon.com slash Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And also, leave a review! Enjoy the episode! So today on the podcast, I'm very happy to welcome Carlene Crevecourt to the episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, Carlene. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> so Carlene Crivecourt was born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti in 1963. When she was five years old, her parents immigrated to the United States with her and five siblings, settling down in a two-story house in Brooklyn, New York. Carlene attended St. John's University, where she received a Bachelor of Science degree in 1985, majoring in chemistry. She went on to pursue her dream of becoming an OBGYN, obtaining a medical degree from SUNY Downstate Medical School. After an unforeseeable series of events, she eventually retired from medicine to homeschool her five now college-age children. She is the author of the upcoming book, Pressure Makes Diamonds, in which she describes her memorable homeschooling journey. Today, she lives in Bowlesburg, Pennsylvania, with her husband, Michael. Thank you very much, Carlene. Thank you. I like the book title, Pressure Makes Diamonds. <laughs> and <laughs> that title, basically, when I was writing it, was because, one, my daughter had told me this at one point, Pressure Makes Diamonds, and I thought it was so beautiful. But I've always been told, oh, you're putting too much pressure on your kids, too much pressure on your kids. And in writing the book, I realized that we, as parents, as teachers, as mothers, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We try to be oh, perfect yes. in a lot of ways. And so in writing it, I realized that there were so many pressures placed on us, but our kids on each other. And so pressure makes diamond is that if you survive these pressures, 
in your life, <laughs> because there's a lot of it, especially in this moment, you come out a better person, you come out a stronger person. So the pressure in the book um, means it's really for all of us. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I completely resonate with that. And I agree. And it's very fitting, I think, as well for the time period that we're in, because it seems like every day almost <laughs> something new, a new pressure is added on or a new stress or a big change and shift is added to the day, to the month, to the year. Yes, daily. <laughs> and in, and everybody's trying to make science, you know, sense of it all. And that's where I guess close family comes in. And that's something else that I tried to depict in my memoir because family really helped a lot. We were a close-knit family and I wanted that for my kids. And I think homeschooling provided that. We did so many things together and I got to know them so well. So that's mm -hmm. another thing that I, in this moment, family is you know, a wonderful thing. It is, it is. So let's talk more about that because you are a homeschooling mom to five kids. Uh, you are, are you still, are you retired now or you're an obstetrician? Are you, are you back to that or are no, you, I've you just graduated your last year? Okay. Yeah. My twins are back because of the COVID. So they're the, uh, my twins and my uh, middle child, they're still in college. They have um, my two sons, they have one more year to go. They're going to be, they're seniors now. They're uprising seniors. And my daughter's a junior. So, um, but I am no longer, I am still teaching them. I always teach them, but not college things, just things that I want to teach them. But life, um, yeah. <laughs> life, exactly. But yeah, but for my medicine, I am officially retired. Okay. And then how did you come to homeschooling? Where where did that fit in, and how did it came to be for you and your family? That is a very interesting question, and it's not an easy answer because it was never planned. Never in my life, especially after becoming an obstetrician, did I think I was going to walk away from it all and homeschool my five kids. But circumstances led me to it, kicking and screaming, and uh, actually that was like the best decision in my life, and I didn't know that at the time. Um, what happened was that my two oldest, Danielle and Michael, they were transferred out of Montessori and they started a Catholic school education because the Montessori in Pennsylvania at the time only went up to kindergarten. So I transferred my first grader, Danielle at the time, and Mikey was my kindergartner, and they started a new school. And like starting something new, they were very excited at first, but after a while, Danielle told me that she was bored with school. Now, when a five-year-old tells you that they're bored with school, it's shocking <laughs> <laughs> because you think, what did they do? But she was reading by then. She was doing multiplication. And when I went to the school to find out what they were doing, why is she so bored? They were learning how to count. They were circling apples on the apple tree. And she was just bored. And my son after a while, he was used to roaming around in the school in Montessori in his class, doing puzzles, doing what he felt like learning at the time. And sometimes I would observe him just sit in the corner and just observe other kids. And that was fine for him. And it was fine for the teachers. They didn't pressure him or push him. And he had a say in how he wanted to spend his day. And when I put him in a structured classroom where he was forced to sit and listen and be dictated to, 
he didn't like it. After a while, after about a month or so of this, he said, mom, how much longer do I have to continue going to kindergarten? And I said, well, <laughs> for a while. And he says, no, I don't want to go anymore, mom. I don't want to go. And he started having tantrums. I, he's never had tantrums before in his life. And yet this was happening. So now I have these two kids that no longer want to go to school and I have to still go to work. And then my what culminated everything was my middle child, Nicholas, who was three years old at the time. We had, when we moved to Altoona, Pennsylvania from New York, we had no family in the area. We knew no one. We didn't have a lot of friends. We had a lot of babysitters that would come and go or quit. Or, you know. So that was very hard during that period of time. And one of that, the latest babysitter injured my three-year-old. And when she oh. called me at my office, I was seeing patient and she was crying. Oh, your son, your son has been injured. I couldn't think of anything. I just froze. I hung up the phone. I grabbed my bag and I went home. And my son, his face was swollen on the right side and he had a black eye and he was screaming. And my husband happened to come home around the same time. He took um, Nicholas to the hospital while I picked up the other kids and that he turned out to be fine, thank God. But that evening, we just looked at each other and I just knew it. I couldn't continue this. It was just getting too hard for both of us. And he said, Colleen, one of us have to stop working. He's the anesthesiologist, by the way. And our schedules were so hard with me being on call every other weekend and he being on call every other weekend, scheduling our vacation time with the kids. It, it, it was really difficult in those days. And so when he said that one of us had to quit, I didn't want it to be me, but <laughs> I realized that um, I, I would do a better job than he would, to be honest. And I said, fine, after a couple of years, once they're older, maybe in middle school age, I would go back to work. And that never happened. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, that was the reason why we started homeschooling. And it wasn't planned. It wasn't something I ever thought I would do or enjoy doing as much, but it turned out to be a godsend because I loved every single moment of it. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. Sometimes I miss it. <laughs> that's good to hear. I think that's actually really encouraging, especially for any parents that are new to homeschooling and have found this podcast and um, are not sure or uncertain because it can be really overwhelming. It can be like, you know, jumping into a uh, a pool where you can't see the bottom and you know how don't know how far down you're going to go <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> but, True, so I those agree. But, it, but you know what? Starting new things, a new job, a new it's always a bit terrifying, but it's also exciting. And mm -hmm. um, when I handed in my affidavits to the school, committing me to do this, like that's it, I'm homeschooling my kids. I was driving home and I'm thinking, oh my God, could I really do this? <laughs> you know, what am I doing? You know, but there was a part of me that was excited, that was like, yeah. I'm going to teach my kids. We're going to learn all kinds of cool stuff, you know? And the more <laughs> I thought about it, the more excited I became of the possibility. You know, I think that's it. It's how you approach it. You know, if you approach something in right. a terrifying manner, starting a new job, oh my God, I'm going to fail, then I think you're setting yourself up for failure. But if you're approaching an exciting new adventure and you've reached out to people, and that's what I did too, 
I reach out to fellow homeschoolers. I, you know, I look at books I wanted to teach them, things I wanted to teach them, places I wanted to take them. And I started planning this and I started visualizing how this could be a reality, how this could be fun. And it, it, so it was exciting. So that's why mm. I would tell parents with every new thing that you start in life, there's always this fear, this intimidation that could I do it? But once you decide to do it, there are people out there that are willing to help. And, um, and it's your attitude about it, I think, that counts a lot. Yeah, that's some of the best advice I've heard lately, actually. Uh, you know, it's how you approach it. It's, you know, how you, you saw it as an exciting new adventure and something that you're excited to tackle. And that, I think, is how then it falls into place after time as well with that excitement. So, yeah, that's actually excellent advice. So you didn't have any other homeschoolers to reference or base your homeschooling or you, you didn't know any homeschoolers before that? I knew of them. There were a few in the area, um, but I didn't know them personally. So once I decided to homeschool, that's when I went out to find out what do we do in Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania in those days were pretty strict. Um, you had portfolios to hand in, you had affidavits, you had your immunization records, everything to hand in. There was this double review of of your um, portfolio that you had to keep. So they were pretty strict and they gave you also a general outline that you had to follow, but it was general. You should follow it, but if you substitute substituted things, which I did all the time, <laughs> but as long as you're showing that your kids are still learning, um, it was acceptable. And I think some people misunderstood that. And I think um, they felt that it was so rigid. And in a way it looked rigid, but after a while, you, they just wanted to make sure that your kids weren't watching cartoons all day with you, <laughs> like some learning was taking place. But yeah, I didn't know any homeschoolers before until I started homeschooling. And they were really wonderful. Like I said, we were relatively new in the area. We didn't have a lot of friends. They, We were one of the few African-American um, family in the area, biracial family in the area. So that also was a, I was kind of reluctant to go out and meet people at first, mm -hmm. except of course my patients. And I figured that, well, I'm homeschooling my kids. I'm doing this. So I don't care. I'm going to speak to anyone. <laughs> and I think it gives you a confidence in yourself that you're taking care of your kids. So at this point, there's no shyness. There's no, you know, being afraid. You just go and you find out what's needed for your kids. And right. that basically dictated what I had to do. Hmm. Okay. So then when you started homeschooling, how did that, did that change your views at all on learning, uh, on your children, on relationships, or did you already have some strong held views and values and beliefs that homeschooling just really solidified for you? Or were you shocked and surprised, like, wait a minute, I didn't expect this, or I never realized that this would happen and come about? That's such a good question. I always value education. Immigrants basically always value education because mm -hmm. sometimes we are restricted, unfortunately, in our in our native home, so um, a native country. So um, my dad, when he came to this country, he worked at Merrill Lynch and he stayed there for. 30 years, I believe. But at night, he went to school. He got his master's in economics, telling mm -hmm. us that education is important. Now, my mom always worked 
a lot of odd jobs taking care of her, especially when my dad went to school at night. And so she never really went back to college. And I think she always regretted that. And she always told us this. But my parents were really never one to push education on us or did you do your homework? We just knew we had to do it. So the five of us would sit down right after school, do our homeworks together, um, my my siblings and I, and go over our homework. And, and so we always did well. We, um, we always scored high on all our exams. And we just knew that we couldn't fail. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't explicitly told to us, but it was implied. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always envision doing the same thing with my kids, you know, sending them to school, coming home, checking their homework, talking to them about their day and things like that. I didn't think I would be the one in charge of it. (laughs) I just Mm -hmm. thought that they would value education the way I did. Um, So when my daughter told me that she was bored with school and my son didn't want to go to school anymore, um, that was an eye opener. And I said, okay, what do I do now? Because I value education for them. And so once I started homeschooling them, what was new, what I found out was how they learn differently. My kids, my all five kids are so different. And you would think that I did the same thing. I taught them the same thing, especially science. We were so science and math oriented that maybe they would all go into medicine because my <laughs> husband and I are physicians, but they're not. I mean, my oldest daughter, now she's start, she's going to be starting um, medical school this fall, but that was after she took a gap doing consulting. My son is mathematician. My other one is a software programmer and a music writer, composer. Mm-hmm. My youngest is like a stand-up comic, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, nice. then my, <laughs> and then my other son is doing this thing with um, 3D animation and um, an Oculus. So I am so happy that they all chose their own individual path. And when I was homeschooling them, when I realized how they all learn differently, I, th- I don't think I was expecting that. When my, the way I taught my daughter how to read and my son how to read was totally different. My daughter wanted to learn how to read so badly. And she kind of taught herself really at the age of two. But my son loved categorizing things and putting things in their proper place and the dinosaurs or the cars or, you know, and he would memorize them. And so when he started playing the piano and the music, he had such a musical brain and he told me he would always hum. And one thing I remembered, my son would tell me things like, um, I said, sweetie, we're at the table, stop humming. And he says, mom, I hear music in my head. And I'm thinking, what is yeah. this? Why do you hear music in your head? So right away, I said, we're going to develop this talent of yours. And I'm so glad we did. And we, he started taking piano lessons at the age of four. And um, eventually he ended up playing at Carnegie Hall. Wow. If the kids <laughs> tell you basically what they want to learn, what right. they love, you just have to listen. and. That was something I think that homeschool opened my eyes to. You know, we always say our kids are always different, but it, this really opened my eyes in how they learn too and how I made the subject or the learning about them, what interests them. And they took it and ran with it. Hmm. So I have a question for you then, because I think that's so true. And I, I absolutely agree when you said the kids tell you what they, what they want to learn and what they love. It's just up to us 
to listen. Why do you think so many of us don't listen? I think it's because we're we're structured to believe that this is the way it has always been done and this is the way that's going to continue. And even now with everything that's happening in the world, finally people are starting to listen. You can't keep doing the old thing the same way and think you're going to get new results. Mm. And I think we're starting to understand that without teaching methods, without um, policing methods, <laughs> with <laughs> everything else, that yeah. things can't always be the same. And I and um, so I think that now we're starting to finally listen. And kids have a lot to say. Um, there was this video I was watching on, I guess, Instagram about this little four-year-old crying that everything is shut down and she can't have her ice cream and she can't. And it was so funny. And I thought of how it's affecting me and my generation and my parents and how they could, you know, die, you know, God forbid if they get COVID. And then I was thinking of my kids my in college that their schools are closing and may not reopen. I never thought of the little ones. And mm. everyone has a say in this, you know, because I've been so far removed <laughs> from having little ones in my house that when I saw that, I said, wow, that is so interesting. Everyone has a stake in this, even yeah. the little ones, and we should listen to them too. Mm. Amen. Yes, they absolutely do. So so saying that then too, you know, and I know you've, you've kind of mentioned a few things, but was there... Were there any obstacles and difficulties that you faced with that at all during homeschooling? Or, you know, what were some of the difficulties that you faced? Um, I don't really recall a lot of difficulties. Like I said earlier, I had to just understand and comply to the protocols that the school district was imposing on us. And once I got over that, I knew how to handle that. Um you know, initially, when I was telling people that I'm thinking of doing this, it was the negative feedback that I received, the negative connotation that came with homeschooling. And when I did this 20 years ago, they, were, they had this vision, I guess, of homeschoolers and who represents homeschoolers. And I definitely was not one of them. And so a couple mm. of times, especially when I told family members of the Black people that I was homeschooling my kids. They were like, that's strange. Black people don't do this. <laughs> you know, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We go to school. So, we to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So to me, that was convincing people that I want to do this. This is going to be great for my kids. And just getting that initial hurdle of convincing people. And after a while, I didn't care. You know, after a while, I just knew this is what I was meant to do. This is what I wanted to do. And so, and we did it. Uh, I had occasional disagreement with the school districts of how they treated homeschoolers. But again, I felt like that was minor. You know, um, I didn't really have a lot of obstacles. Mm. And what about diversity in the homeschooling community? Because you had mentioned as well that where your kids were growing up, that wasn't a very diverse population at the time. And then being homeschoolers, <laughs> Black homeschoolers on top of that, where were you in that? How did you, did you have to connect further and afar with others? Did you just, you know, do with what you had at the time or what's your viewpoint That's basically on that? it. I, I basically dealt with what I had at the time. Um, 
because I was fortunate enough to have five five kids, they played well mm-hmm. together. They understood. They became extremely close, and that was definitely a plus. And the homeschooling, the homeschooling community, although it wasn't very diverse, but I interacted with them things that were beneficial for both of us. And so we did field trips. We did um, competitions when we competed with the reading competition that they set up against. Um, parochial and and public schools. So we had a great time doing that. We had um, we had guest speakers. And for a period of time, I also taught French in our little homeschooling community. So it worked well for us. Um, the diversity was an issue, but at the same time, I supplemented. We traveled a lot to New York. And so they did play a lot with my cousins, with their cousins in New York. And so I think they got a real good mixture of people around them. And as far as the education, a lot of things that the homeschoolers didn't provide, I provided with my kids. We learned all sorts of subjects, all sorts of histories. And, um, and And I think that worked well. Would I prefer that it was more diverse? Of course. But in our setting, it wasn't. So I, I dealt with what I had. Hmm. Yeah. I, you know, that's also the beauty of it as well, because, you know, it's funny because, you know, sometimes that is a question that comes up. Well, the homeschool community isn't very diverse. So how do you, because, you know, we are also, um, you know, I'm black, we are a biracial family as well. And it, it's, you know, it come, you know, most homeschoolers, there's that stereotype that it's a white Christian family that exactly. are homeschoolers and and that their education or life is very limited to that community. And as much as I absolutely, it's expanding and exploding and growing all across the world and in diversity, I find so many more homeschoolers, homeschooling families that are diverse in their background and colors and beliefs. Um, you know, the advantage that we do have is that we have the time and more resources now and access to you know, to learn more about our history, you know, mm-hmm. different, you know, different cultures, languages, spaces that we want to learn more about that you may be restricted in in school where it's, you no, know, we're learning about this at this time and uh, for this amount of time, and there's not really much else you can do about that. So that is a nice plus that we have for sure. Exactly. I would agree. Yeah. So, you know, actually, and you brought this up too because you were in Pennsylvania, and I actually just wanted to ask because sometimes, depending where you are per state, country, province, I know it, it's similar to the U.S. in Canada in the way that our province governs education. It's not a national mm-hmm. um, education uh, uh, portfolio or ministry, but it's per province. So it changes with each province and the regulations change with each province. If you're in a state that maybe has a bit uh, stricter requirements for homeschooling, like you said, Pennsylvania had a lot of work to show in portfolios and evidence because they want the quote unquote evidence of learning. Right. Um, how, what would you recommend or how did you have that work for you um, and adjusting to, you know, to your family and not having to feel like you just were checking off the boxes? Because, uh, um, again, when they gave you a general outline of science and math, I would have taught these my, to my kids anyway. The science or the, the, the science could be whatever science you wanted. So I would give my kids a choice. 
kids next year, do we want to do biology or chemistry? So I did have that flexibility. There was another interesting part that I talk about in my in my manuscript where we were the time when we were doing um, the Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur, and we the kids loved it. They loved the castle. So we went into building castle, how the castle is made, the construction of the castle. Then we made our mode and we calculated. I, I got them this play kit of castles. And then we had to calculate using math how wide or deep our moat should be. Then we looked at geography and where should we place our de- our, our, our castle if we have an invading army. And before you knew it, and then for Halloween came along and everybody wanted to be a castle character, you know, <laughs> a, the Corchester or the knight or the princess. or And it was so beautiful because we used just about everything you could learn in education, the math, the geography, the, the history. We read books on castles. We, you know, we continue with the King Arthur. And so there was a lot of things that I wanted to cover during that year, but our castle studies took longer than I expected, but it had all these other factors that the school wanted to show. And I included that and I said that and I stated that and they accepted it because the kids learned and they realized that the kids learned. And so that's why I say that although they, it seemed like they were restricting you, but again, I think they just wanted proof that you were doing something. And once you show and you documented that you, you know, you, yes, you played around with your kids because that's how learning is. Learning should be playful, but they learned and they couldn't argue with that. And we had to take standardized tests too. And my kids always did wonderful in the standardized tests, which I wasn't crazy about. I didn't know I could opt out of them, you know, early I couldn't. Mm-hmm. But my kids did well anyway, so I just complied with that because it didn't hurt me in any way. Um, other parents were more diligent, bil- and they did not want to take these tests. And later, <laughs> they did change it. They did change it. They, oh, they it, did. We okay. could opt out of it if you wanted to. But when we, when I was raising my kids, we couldn't. But, you know, it, it again, a lot of these restrictions are things that you could find a workaround if you really wanted to. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. I thank you for answering that. Um, <laughs> because I think that's part of, that's part of it as well too, is feeling that you're restricted, right? We we're used, I think we're very used to learning in a certain way and that it has to be in a certain way. And, um, it takes a while for our brains and our mindset to think beyond that, that we can create and explore beyond that, that it's not just per subject, it's all encompassing. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, when I kind of first started teaching my son, we had such a time with time and money <laughs> and it started, <laughs> that's how his, I guess, first grade book started time and money. And he couldn't comprehend this. And after about a month or so of trying everything I could to explain it to him, he still was like a blank stare at me. I felt so useless. I said, why did I think I could do this? I can't do this. He can't understand time and money. Oh my God, I can't believe it. I don't know what to do. And my husband, after a while, told me, Colleen, skip it. Come back to it later. You don't have to do this right now. And I said, I could do that. I could really skip it. <laughs> and and I did. And you know what? We did multiplication next. He got it. You know, Mikey always memorized things. He, once he understood what multiplication was all about, he memorized all his multiplication. We went on. And 
at the end of the school year, we had to go back to time and money. And I was so shocked at how easy he understood. I mean, it was just mm. unbelievable. In less than half a day, he goes, oh, mom, I get it. And he's showing me everything. And that was one of the moments that I write in the manuscript because one, I didn't know that I could structure my studies or my teaching any way I wanted at first. I thought I had to just follow the textbook. It starts with time and money. So I start with time and money. And also imagine if this was the first marking period for your child and it starts with time and money and the kid gets an F because that's probably what I would give Mikey at the time. And then it's part of math. And then he says, oh God, I'm terrible in math. I hate math. And all of a sudden this follows him for the rest of his life, thinking that he's bad at math when that is just one subset of math. And at the end, when his mind was ready enough for it, he learned it. It it wasn't hard. And so I think sometimes we underestimate our kids because we feel like they should all be at the same level at the same time. And that's not correct. Danielle teaching her time and money, especially in the beginning of the school year, she got it really easy. Mike, Michael needed more time. And once I gave him that time without the stress involved, he understood it. And that was another mind-opening you know, time for me in homeschooling, that I was so happy that I was homeschooling him. Yeah, that's very clear. It's interesting to think that, you know, with your five kids, the unique differences of all of them and how they learn and the interests, and then think about a classroom of 30 kids and everyone's unique differences and interests and how they learn. Yeah. You know, it gave me a little bit more appreciation for teachers. And I think a lot of people are saying that now when they find themselves homeschooling, but to really, really understand your students. And I think teachers try their best. But it's a lot of work for 30 kids. Mm -hmm. And again, for that student that's just not ready to comprehend this difficult um, subject right at that moment, for them to get a failing mark that stays with them, you know, it's, I, I think it's not a good system for both parties. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's very limiting and confining. And yeah. Yeah, it, it plays against, I think, our natural human capabilities and abilities, which uh, it's, effic- it's for efficiency <laughs> yes. more than anything. Yeah, yeah. It is. So, you know, for you as well, I think you are a great person to ask because this is another big question that comes up for homeschoolers is, um, you know, the long term when your kids become older, when they get into the high school age and when they get into university and all of your kids ended up attending university, um, it's a common fear, I think, for many parents that are considering to homeschool. What if my child wants to, to attend university? How will they get in? How does it work? Do they have options? Do, are we limiting them? What is your experience and background on this? I think initially when I first started homeschooling, there could have been that stigma about homeschoolers and uh, did they really learn anything? Are they compatible to the other kids that went to traditional school? I think that has more or less disappeared. And in fact, I think that homeschoolers bring a unique perspective to um, the university settings. They are seen now as free thinkers. 
and um, that's someone, someone with the passion for learning. So I think that it's definitely doable. Of course, my kids did it and we did it and I did it in several ways. One, and I have to say, starting off before I finish that question, is that I did not homeschool my kids with the idea of them going to the Ivy Leagues. That was mm-hmm. not in my radar. <laughs> um, <laughs> that wasn't something I even considered. And I put that in my title, the subtitle of my memoir, only because I, when people find out about my kids, they say, oh my God, what'd you do? Do you have to write a book? You have to write a book. So I think people are impressed with that and I'm happy, but that was not my goal. So that's mm-hmm. starting off. That was not my goal. But I always tell people that the university saw in my kids what I wanted them to achieve. And they liked it. Like we both liked the same thing. I wasn't teaching for the university. The university just happened to like what I was teaching. (laughs) And uh, the the academics are important. And we've always done well on the standardized test, the AP test. And my kids always took the AP test after every subject that I taught them. Because I also felt it validated if what I, the, the grade I gave my kids, if I gave them straight A's, people would look at it and say, yeah, but they're your kids. You know, do we right. really You're know? You're their mom, of course. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so like, we don't know anything. We just give A's randomly, you know, <laughs> but, um, but so they always took the AP test. And so they, and they always did fives or fours, you know, like the highest marks. So they always did well. So that definitely helped. But I think what also helped is I felt that my kids, to be a part of society, you have to be well-rounded. So we exercise. I ran with them in the morning, and then they ran track, and they became track stars. Mm-hmm. We did swimming. Um, we did soccer. We are like a little soccer family, especially my husband. We would say, family soccer day, and we go outside, <laughs> and they'll, we'll throw the soccer ball around. They did well in the soccer team because I always value sports. I always value exercise, moving around. Um, so that was very important. And I think the universities like that. And um, I also like giving back to the community. And I taught my kids that. So we volunteered through 4-H. We cleaned the parks every spring. Um, we were involved with the Special Olympics. It was right there at Penn State University, which is like 10 minutes from our home. And when the kids were younger, we volunteered to make beds, to make the beds because the athletes would come and stay. They would be hosted at Penn State University. But as the kids got older, they wanted to do other things involving the um, the Special Olympics. And so they started to time like swimmers because mm-hmm. and, and uh, my daughter would love doing that. Um, swimming was a big thing in our family. So for them to time the, the athletes doing swim on Special Olympics or the, the track, um, my son did that. That's giving back to the community. And then my other son, Joey, he's here with me. He's um, one of my seniors. Um, he loves math. He loved math more. And he went to a lot of international competitions. And he tutored a lot of kids in math. And to my surprise, when he got to Harvard also, he joined this organization where after school, I think once or twice a week, he would go to the juvenile centers and help these kids get their um, GEDs. And then eventually Mm -hmm. he got involved with a lot of social working and and prison reform issues and felt like some of these kids 
you know, didn't belong there. And so he's very active in that. But I think if you, the things that you value and you instill in your kids, the love of learning, the, the athletics, the um, empathy, giving back to society, um, I think that it shows. And when you're passionate about learning and you, sh- you instill that in your kids, I think they'll normally do well on exams. Um, we were never afraid of taking exams. When I first started studying the SAT for my daughter, she was going to this um, this um, CTY membership thing that they needed her to take the SAT at 12 years old. And she did well. <laughs> yeah, she did really well. When we sat down to do the problems and she would get them right, I said, sweetheart, how did you how did you get this right? I mean, she goes, it's easy, mom. They try to trick you, but you could see what they were asking. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point they, they were national um, achievement winners and, um, and finalists and um, national merit. That was because of their AP, um, no, the ACT scores that, yeah, we did study for them. I'm not saying we didn't prepare because a three-hour test for a little kid, I think it was more the stanimer that I prepared them for to be focused for three hours and how to address the problems. And some of the readings may want to trick you or they may be really something that you haven't experienced. But I think that if you put yourself in that moment, you'll do well. And they did. So, um, so yeah, in conclusion, I think it's because I believed in what I taught my kids. And I love the fact that the other Ivy League schools saw that and they <laughs> um, they accepted our, our children. Mm, okay. So uh, can you also explain, just going back, which is that you said at a young age, they had to sit for the three-hour test for those listeners that are not in the U.S. that are outside, because we also have many from around the world. Can you explain which tests those are and why they had to take them? Okay. Um, The SAT and the ACT, these are tests to be that universities look at to accept you in in, in uh, in their schools. And some of the harder Ivy League schools, they want close to perfect. They never tell you what exactly they're looking for, what the cutoff is, because they're not supposed to. But everybody feels like the higher you get on these exams, the better you'll do, the the better your chances will be in being accepted. So these tests are about three hours. And they usually, the, the SAT is usually a reading comprehension, writing, and math. The ACT has some science in it, but the science is not things that you should have learned. It's more like charts and how would you interpret the results. So even if you're not, you didn't, you weren't exposed to, you know, you didn't do a lot of chemistry or biology. It was more about how you would interpret the results. So this is another question too. How did your kids, like from their viewpoint, how did they feel the adjustment of from homeschooling to school? to university or uh, did, I think, did you say one of your kids did go to high school for their last year or last two years? Actually, they all did. They They all all did did. for high school. Yeah. That I took, I took a shortcut and part of it is because I was diagnosed with colon cancer when um, Danielle was the only one. So that was, that was a very heartful, um, that was a very tragic part of our homeschooling. And 
Danielle was the only one that had started at the university in 2012 when I was diagnosed. So I had given my kids a choice. Do you want to continue homeschooling and we'll work around this? Um, because it was a 12 week chemo session. It was my surgery plus the 12 weeks. So we had to think of how we are going to proceed with this. Two of my kids, they were like in the middle school age. I think they want they wanted to experience school schooling. They wanted, you know, they had friends that mm-hmm. went to school and they wanted to see what it was like. So two of them did, um, Jackie and Nicholas, I put them in middle school, but they were also taking some high school courses at the time and, the, and they would get shuttled, shuttled to the high school. My oldest son, Michael and Joey did not want to go to school, but they also had this dual enrollment thing that was unique to state college. And to be honest with you, I think that it could be a way for the future and especially in the moment that we're dealing with now. What I love about dual enrollment is that you're still considered a homeschooler, even if you teach one subject. And what they do is you let you tell you're the counselor, you're the teacher for your child, and you let the district know that you want your child in this course and this course or that course. And they won't argue with you because you are the, the teacher and you're the counselor. So they will put the child in the course that you want. And at the same time, the parent could teach them other courses at home that they feel capable or comfortable with. And so that way you're dual enroll. And at some point, my son, just like Danielle, Michael also took university courses. So when I was diagnosed, he was taking a course at the university. Then he would go to state college, the high school for one or two courses. And then he would come home and we would work together either in the evening or the weekends. So my course, my chemo course was a 12 week cycle and it was every other week. And so the week that I was got my infusion, I was devastated. I was weak. Um, I couldn't really do much. But the following week, I made up for it. I was like a happy beaver going around and, <laughs> and writing their lessons plan, checking their work, trying to do so much into that week because I knew what happened the following, what would come the following week. And so that worked well for about seven, eight weeks. But towards the end, I couldn't even get out of bed. Yeah. It was just too painful to even walk. And so my kids, they were an autopilot. I was so proud of them. They basically continued the AP AP human geography that we were doing at the time, the AP bio that we were doing at the time, um, and a few other British literature, I think, a few other courses. And so Mikey had just gotten his license. And so he was doing the pickup and the and the music lessons because they also had private teachers. And so he filled in. And of course, my husband did whenever possible. And of course, family members came and they helped us. But we got through it. And we got through it. And it was an amazing time. And as soon as I was better, I pulled them out of school. And I said, okay, you guys, (laughs) we're going back to this. But senior year, I... um, Tanya, who was one of the homeschoolers, and she was also a previous teacher, she was one of the reviewers, portfolio reviewers. And so she was telling me once Danielle was a senior, she was telling me about how to go around getting 
uh, high school, uh, uh, homeschool diploma. And I felt that my kids wanted the whole pops and circumstance and the whole gown thing. And right. they were so wonderful. And I gave them a choice. I guess at senior year, we could go through the homeschooling diploma route, or we could, you could go to the high school and you could be fully enrolled. You're not going to be a homeschooler anymore. And they chose to be a fully enrolled um, high schooler. But at that time, they were so used to kind of doing their own thing. The teachers already knew they were doing their own thing. So they were in high school, but they were still doing their own thing. They were doing a lot of independent study using MIT courseware. They were they finished a lot of their math, so they were taking some additional math at the university. So they were technically high schoolers, but they were still I still felt like we were controlling things. We were mm-hmm. because they were so advanced that some of the courses at the high school they there was none for them. Right. So um, nice. it, I think it was a good mix. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a very good mix. Can I just ask first? So how are you feeling now? Better. (laughs) Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Um, It came back. It came back in my lungs. So I was out again. So one year I was up and another year I was out again. And that was that was a really hard year for us. It wasn't so much as, um, you know, juggling everything. It was just that the second time around, I just was just not in a good place at all. I was just at this time a lot depressed. And I was and I kind of shut down, you know, and what's amazing, I think, about homeschooling is because as depressed and hopeless I felt, I said, I'm not done. I still have to homeschool my kids. <laughs> you know, we don't have substitute teachers, you know, right. we don't have these things. And I thank God for that, because that really helped me out of my depression when I realized that I'm not done yet. I still have this. And um, I still have to get through this. I still have to homeschool my kids. I started this with them. And if I'm alive, I'll continue. <laughs> that was something that kept me going. That was something that I was determined to finish. And so when people say, oh, you have your kids to live for, you have your kids to live for, I didn't feel it like that. It wasn't my purpose of living, I think. Of course, I love my kids and I don't want to die. Don't get me wrong. But I felt I still had to finish what I started. And mm. that got me out of bed. That got me focused. And we continued until mm. they graduated. Hmm. Are you finished treatment or? Yes, I am finished treatment, but they are still watching me like a hawk. I'm still going to, um, I when we celebrated our, um, my five years cancer-free, all the kids came back and they had a little party for mom and it was just so beautiful. <laughs> But um, the doctors, I just have other issues that, you know, that I'm trying to resolve, but medically, but yes, so far I am in remission. Okay. Okay. That is good to hear. Okay. You know, the one thing as well that I hear intertwined through all of this, especially when you were talking about homeschooling through cancer and um, which I think actually is a whole other episode we could probably talk about when we're faced with serious health problems and difficulties and, you know, and we have our kids at home with us and we are at home. And like you said, there's no substitute teachers. Maybe we have family to rely on or things like that, but you know, how, how we do that and balance that or still have time for ourselves for rest and recovery and health. Um, but the, the ongoing thread I hear 
is the power of family relationships and the bond and closeness that really was such a support for all of you, for you and for your kids, for your everyone. That's mm-hmm. that's what I hear is continuous throughout this, especially when you were when you were dealing with colon cancer and then lung cancer and having the kids homeschooling or the conversation as well. Everyone was part of it. It's true. Um, and I, and again, my family was so supportive. My brothers and sisters, they flew in periodically to help take care of us. I had started this quiz bowl team for the middle school and I loved it. I love quiz bowl. Quiz bowl is this Jeopardy kind of competition where you have four people on a team, but you have several teams and you also have substitutes and you compete against another team. And so my son, Michael was the first one that was in the high school quiz bowl team. And so I wanted to start one for the middle school for my little ones. And while I was sick, the first year we did it, we we did well. We went to nationals in Chicago. And the second year that I was hoping to, you know, take them to nationals again, um, doing better this time. I think the first time we took 11 out of 72 teams and I couldn't, the, that was a competition week with, in Chicago and I wanted them to go because I didn't want them staying home, taking care of me. They studied so hard and they made it. And my brother came in from New York. My brother and my sister came in to take care of me and my husband went to Chicago with them and, um, and they they competed and they did well. They did well without their coach mom being at home <laughs> recuperating. But they didn't place as high as they had wanted to. But it was more teams and it's getting more competitive every year. And they cried. They called and said, Mommy, we didn't get the trophy for you. And I said, Sweetheart, you guys are amazing. You know, you guys are all the trophies I need. Come on. I'm just yeah. so proud of you. But you're right, though. Family in that, that they really helped. You know, they knew that this was something that was important to me. I couldn't go, but they made it happen. And mm-hmm. so you're right. I, that Those are some of the sad moments in my life because I was sick, but it was also some of the best moments in my life because, I, I you know, you felt love. I felt love. Yeah. <laughs> and how much my family and friends did during that difficult time of our life. Yeah. How you came together. Yeah. And I can hear that. You're definitely well-loved. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Give and receive. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think also we're, you know, I also want to be respectful of the time here too that you granted and and that we have, but I do have a few other questions I would like to ask too, before we come to the end. It's one of them that I think you would have really good insight on. And I, I had written that this to you as well. And it is, you know, I think coming, talking about from how, you know, from, your health as well and homeschooling and everything that is happening now in the world and the huge changes that we're seeing in almost every area in our lives, I think, right? Like health, security, economy, um, autonomy, um, freedom, respect, uh, love, you know, all of that is actually, it seems like it's in a shift right now in our current reality. So, what would you like? What do you think? Do you see education being impacted? Do you see your own family being impacted by this? You know, what are your thoughts on that? How do you see see things evolving and changing? 
That is such a loaded question. It is such a <laughs> wonderful <laughs> question. And it's a question that has many layers. Yes. And as you were talking, I was trying to unpeel them one by one. <laughs> you can the take them one thing, at a time if you like. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, the first issue that I want to deal with is the unemployment issue. And I feel like that's going to affect a lot of families. Mm-hmm. It's going to create a lot of homelessness. And yes. And there's going to be a lot of ripple effect from that. And unfortunately, that's one of the areas that I myself cannot give an answer to of what's going to happen. If Congress and the stimulus and everything else that they're considering this week passes will be a start until businesses could reopen. So on that point, yes, I think that it's going to change education a lot because of the fact that People may be homeless. People may be unemployed. People, you know, and so that's going to have a ripple effect in the whole community when when um, the employment rate goes that high. The next thing I want to deal with is the systemic racism that mm-hmm. the murder of George Floyd has brought in has ignited. It's been um, simmering ever since I guess um, Rodney King was about 25 years ago that we actually witnessed. Um, police brutality. And since then, there's been a lot of complaints, but it hasn't changed much. And because of this viral act that we saw that was showcased all around the world um, of the murder of George Floyd, it really ignited something in all of us. Um, It made us angry. It made us sad. It made us cry. And because of that, I hope there are changes. And I did talk to my sons about um, police brutality and how you have to deal with that and how you have to make sure your hands. I mean, we we all have to have this talk with our sons. And I feel that as the years progress, we'll have less and less to have to talk about that. How's that going to change in the education system? I think that I hope that the curriculum becomes more inclusive. Um, I hope that the literature that we read and that I try to read with my kids um, becomes more inclusive. I think that the history, definitely, it should be more than just the Eurocentric um, history that's usually taught in school. And being Haitian, one of the first things that I learned about even before starting school was our Haitian revolution. I think that's something mm. that every Haitian child is taught. It's a very yes. big prideful moment in our history. And and it's important to feel proud in your history. And that's a huge I, moment in history all over the world, not just for it, Haiti. I think it, you know, it and it's it's a very huge moment in history. It is. And so I got into the habit of I taught my kids that and then we ex- we explored other cultures and other histories like Latin America and Africa. And I hope that the schools decide to do that also, because I think it's important for them, for the kids to feel um, important or to feel like they have a history. Mm-hmm. So um, that's some of the changes that I hope that this brings. And also I think it should, it focuses on some of the microaggressions that kids get black kids face in the in in the schoolroom, and there was several articles written about that recently, and I experienced that in my own life when I was um, growing up in Brooklyn, New York, um, years ago, 
and and I and I mentioned that fact in my memoir and I never wanted my kids to ever be treated like that and I think that people are starting to understand the diversity that we live in and to being sensitive to other people's culture and other people's race and other people's religion and other people's sexual orientation and I and I'm hoping that this cycle doesn't repeat itself this um flame is finally turned out because it's it can't keep continuing something really has to change and i hope that it starts in the schools in the brick and mortar school as well as in the homeschooling community lastly is the covid and i my heart breaks for everyone that has lost loved ones because every time they flash these numbers of death these are people these are people dying and some days I can't watch the news because it's so, I don't want to hear about more people dying. It's it's just extremely sad. And so how are we going to do that? How are we going to open up the schools? That's the big discussion. And I see both sides of it. Myself, I have chronic issues. I have chronic problems. And um, my kids are so worried about me every time mom we'll get it for you don't go out they're worried they don't want me to get sick because right. i escaped death so many times i can't right. keep pushing it <laughs> i'm not a cat and it's going to catch up with me but for now i've been as cautious as possible but if my kids were to in that school age going to school and coming home um that's that's something frightening for me i worry about my parents they're in florida they're um 90 years old and my sister is there and she looks after them periodically. But these are the things that we worry about. Well, we're trying to raise our kids or homeschool our kids. or we, we're, we now have another fear to add, the fear of our parents dying, the fear of us being sick. And so that that's going to take away on everyone. But how does the school reopen? The kids, especially the, about the little four-year-old that was so crying that she misses her friend and she needs to go out. I think that if they could do it in a responsible way and we could get a vaccine, um, then that will be great for all of us. I feel like as homeschoolers that we feel a little bit more fortunate and more prepared in this situation because yeah. a lot of people have reached out to me and say, okay, how do we do about going to this homeschooling thing? Um, I think like you had mentioned before, parents find themselves in a situation that they never considered, nor did they ever want to do, but now they don't really have much of a choice. And so we kind of sit back saying that, you know, we've been ahead of the game. We've been doing this for a long time. But in reality, my homeschooling, at least, the moment, the times that we stayed in the home was just the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg, the rest of the iceberg that's underground was spent outdoors. Either right. we went to zoos and museums, either we met up with other homeschool families um, for activities, for field trips, either we participated in sports at our local YMCA or at the high school or middle school, we interacted with people. And I think it's normal for us to want to interact. So even with homeschooling kids, we need that connection and it's not going to be easy. And I think that we don't know the effect that it's going to have on our kids. And we try to make the best of it by Zooming people, by Zooming their friends, um, by talking and of course social distancing, but seeing them from afar. But that connection of people I think is needed. 
And mm-hmm. I just hope yes. that we could resolve this soon because I think it's going to cause a lot of problems that we don't, we haven't even begun to think of. Yeah. There's a domino effect. I think there is. It happens. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think you probably know better than many of us as a doctor, both for in, in your family, more than one doctor is in your family, um, you know, the importance of the mental health, the connection yes. piece in our physical health. And isolation yes. is not always something that's very good for our physical health. We need that human beings, we have that, we are connected and we need to keep that connection going and strengthened for our physical bodies, our our mental bodies as well, to be strong and healthy as well. It is. And you know what? You don't, at least I never thought of it until I didn't have it anymore. And that's, I guess, the same thing, things that we get accustomed to, things that's always been there. And, you know, and we're thinking, okay, a, a month or two, everybody could do that. But it was harder. It was harder than most people anticipated. Um, and so now they're doing all my, the kids and I, we met yet on Zoom and we were playing these games and it was so fun. And I'm thinking, wow, is this the new normal? But we need mm. to get beyond that and we need to make it work because if this is going to be a new normal, then we have to find creative ways. And I think that is one thing that homeschooling has taught me is that we can be creative. We can't right. meet the moment. We need to do what we need to do to survive and come out on the other end like diamonds. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Pressure creates diamonds and we have a lot of <laughs> pressure right now. <laughs> but we can become creative and yeah, make those that really make our diamonds shine and be strong. Yes. And unique. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, th- Carlene, thank you so much. I love talking to you. It's been a pleasure for me. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, not only are you warm and engaging and I, you know, I can feel your, your love coming through so much. And so it's been actually quite enjoyable for me to spend this time with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it too. I really did. Good. So I, speaking of pressure, um, pressure creates diamonds and your book, your memoir, can you, are, is it published yet? How far are you in the process? How can we, if we want to purchase it, is there a pre-sale? Tell us all about it so that we can, or if we can follow you, let us know how we can learn more and be in touch and look forward to the book. Oh, thank you. Well, it's done. It's a memoir. It's in a manuscript form now. Um, I am talking to two publishers and it's not a done deal until you sign the papers. But um, so I will keep everyone noted, informed. And you could go on my website because I have subscribers that I'm writing their names down because they said they're really interesting. They would love to know when the book comes out and I can't wait. I hope to know too. Um, (laughs) So you could go on my website. Do you want me to, it's my name, ColleenCrevacore.com. And um, you'll see about me and about my kids and they have their little profile if you want to read. And some of the essays that we had won on on in various occasions that I thought was important to to write. So all of those could be found on my website. Okay. And I'll include your website in the show notes as well. So anyone can click on there too to get to your website. Oh thank you. And if you go to my website you'll also have my Twitter handle which is Medicrev, but it's on my website and my Instagram which is Crevy22. Okay. And I'll include those too as well. 
One thing I want to leave to parents um, before we close is that when I did this 20 years ago, there weren't a lot of resources. And this time there was so much more resources. Um, there was free curriculum online to help committing parents um, to, to, to teach their kids and also reach out to a lot of homeschoolers and people like myself that other people have reached out to. I've given away a lot of the things that I've used for my kids. And because they're no longer kids, I really don't need them anymore. I want them, people to put them to good use. And I think there's a lot of people in my situation. And I know that if finance is the trouble for some to reach out and you'll be surprised how many people, especially fellow homeschoolers are willing to help or willing to give advice and are willing to donate anything that they no longer need for their kids. Mm -hmm. So that's something that is very hopeful in the moment that we're going through and for the success of your child. Mm, yeah, it's true. Actually, the community has grown. There are so many more resources out there, and I find yeah, absolutely that homeschoolers are, you know, we sometimes we have things that maybe we've done a page or opened a book, and then are happy to give away or to pass on or things that we've loved and and share. So I think that's great advice to reach out and really build that community and ask ask for help if it is exactly, needed. exactly. Okay. Thank you very much, Carlene. I will include all of the your website, your Twitter handle, Instagram as well on there. And um, yeah, and then we can contact you from there. And anyone listening, if you have questions, please reach out to either Carlene or I. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. Same here. This has been wonderful. It has. Thank you.